Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. If you are new to Saints Hill, uh, something that you need to know is that we have 10 core values that animate our vision. They set the standard for the kind of culture that we are seeking to build here in Newburgh. And uh, every September, every year for the past three years, we have taken a few weeks to focus in on one or a few of those 10 core values as a part of our vision series. Now, we have been, if you've been here for the past uh, three weeks, We've been in a really great series leading into our vision series, kind of a perfect setup, if you will. Uh, We've been asking ourselves this question and the scriptures this question, why the church? Like, why does the church matter? What's the point of the church? Uh, If you grew up in the church, maybe this is a question you've asked yourself, or maybe from the outside, somebody finally drug you into a church, you know, God forbid, and you're going what does the church even matter? Is this just like a social club for people with like Judeo-Christian Western morality? Um, it's so much more than that. And uh, what, for, so for the past three weeks, we've been in this series and we've answered that question, why the church, these three ways. The first week we talked about the church exists to equip the saints for ministry and justice work. The second week we talked about how the church exists. Why the church? It's for revival through hosting Yahweh's presence. Did you feel the presence of God here this evening? Because I did. Uh, It's just such a gift that he's so near. And then last week we talked about how the church exists to be a confession of the truth in the midst of a culture war. So if you want to hear us get a little bit risky with culture stuff, go back and listen to last week's message on the podcast. Now, Saints Hill is in many ways organized to meet all three of those things, to equip the saints, to speak the truth, and to seek revival. Those are things that are like in our DNA, but we have gotten even more specific about what we believe God has sent us to do here in Newburgh, and the 10 core values are just that. So here I have with me uh, a nice little packet. You can get one of these packets outside on one of the welcome desks, And um, inside this packet are all 10 of our core values. And they're kind of nice looking, so you can put them up on a bulletin board. You can put them up on a refrigerator. And on the back of these is a declaration. Why a declaration? Uh, Because what we've tried to do, these, these aren't just random. Like, here's one. The scriptures are authoritative, and they tell us the truth that brings freedom. And that's not a random idea. This is directly rooted in 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is directly rooted in Jesus saying, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so what we've done with the declarations is through scripture, we've gotten a, a, a paragraph that we can declare because how many of you guys understand? Our culture doesn't want you to believe this. How many of you guys understand, even your flesh doesn't want you to believe this. The enemy doesn't want you to believe this. And so it's so important that we remind ourselves daily of the truth and we walk in freedom. So so that's what these cards are. They're out there in the lobby. I would recommend if you are new or you didn't know we had 10 core values, go out there, grab one of those after the gathering. We've actually taught through all 10 core values, given a week to each one uh, twice now. This last fall, we did that. And then the very first fall when we planted, we did that as well. So you can find those on the website, on our podcast. Now, 
as I was thinking about this year's vision series and what we were to focus on this year, um, I had a sense that we needed to put some attention on our 10th core value, which is this. We have the privilege of leaving a legacy of heaven. We have the privilege of leaving a legacy of heaven. Now, the strength of this value, this value, I should say, is only as strong and is only as significant as our other core values. Because, like, what is a legacy of heaven? I mean, it sounds nice. A legacy of heaven? That sounds pretty good. But what is a legacy of heaven? Well, it's handing down to those who will come later a few things. It's ease in experiencing the goodness of God, our very first value. God is good. It's a value for the scriptures as authority over our lives. It's a focus on Jesus being king. It's the presence of God being valued above all else. It's a culture that honors people rather than tears them down. Those are just, and there's more, but those are just a few values that we get uh, from our 10 core values. And, And what a legacy of heaven would even look like practically here. Like, what I'm saying is that if you're here tonight and you're new, like you've been a couple times or this is your first time, you are about to inherit a culture. You are about to inherit a legacy of people and families who paid a price of surrender. They paid the price to seek the presence of God for the past three years here. Not just the three years. I mean, there's, there's people here who have lived in Newburgh for 50 plus years and we as a church are inheriting their legacy. So, so here's my question to you tonight. What will those who come after you receive because of you? In this church, what risk and faith will you step into that paves the way for others? In your life, what risk and faith will you step into that paves the way for the people that you meet? or that you encounter, or your family. So so tonight, I want to talk about this. How do you live a life of weight? How to live a life of weight. Every single one of us wants purpose. Every single one of us, especially some of you who are young, you're going, what am I here for? I've been through three different majors, and I'm still trying to figure out what's my purpose in life. Um, so, so how do I actually live a life that matters? It's of substance, it's of weight. Or, or maybe another way to put this would be, how do we live lives that are worth inheriting? Because <laughs> you've maybe inherited some stuff from the people who have gone before you, and it wasn't worth inheriting. <laughs> but you got it, <laughs> and that's called discipleship. Um, let, here's what I want to do. How do we actually live lives of weight? I want to work backwards and see where we end up. So if we all collectively can say, yes, I want to live a life of purpose, I want to live a life that leaves a legacy of heaven, then, then why do so many people live thin lives? Why do so many people live thin lives? And, and I think that the Bible has so much to say on this. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and um, it is the first uh, documentary, if you will, of the life of Christ, of this uh, Jewish uh, prophet, this Jewish Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
Um, so Matthew 13, we're going to look at one of Jesus's teachings. And one of the things that Jesus did is he often taught through parables. So if you're familiar with the Bible, you know this. Uh, Jesus teaches through um, picture and image and story. And this is what he's doing right here. So we're going to be in Matthew 13, and we're going to start in verse 1. A very famous parable, even if you're unfamiliar with Matthew. You've probably heard this one before. So it's a, it says this, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people on the shore uh, stood on the shore. Verse three. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering his seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Verse seven, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Um, what is going on here? What is this all about? What is this metaphor uh, about? Well, essentially what's happening is Jesus is like, okay, imagine a sower. Now, um, in w- where we live, this isn't too hard to imagine. We live in a lot of farmland. There's um, people who go out and they actually sow seed uh, for wheat or they sow seed for hazelnut trees or they sow seed for grapevines. And so you've got to imagine a farmer goes out to his land and he's kind of almost indiscriminately throwing his seed around. Notice that. It's kind of indiscriminate. Because if you're a farmer, and you ha- you're like, I'm not confused about my plot of land and the path. I'm not really that confused about my plot of land and where all the weeds are. But this farmer goes around, and he throws seed, or she throws seed, and it ends up on the path. That's not going to do any good. It ends up in, in the thorns, in, in the weeds. Why? You'll find out. <laughs> See, what we find out as we, if we were to read this, the, the, the next section of this, we're going to skip down to, to something in just a moment, is that there's a metaphor happening. And this farmer is God. And the seed are what's called the words of the kingdom. And so you have to imagine like God, he's like, I, I know there's probably no chance that those people are going to respond because you know, what, I'll, I'll tell them the word and it's just going to get snatched up and they'll totally forget about it. Or I know that these, it's kind of rocky and I don't know that they really have much chance of, of getting much root, but I'll sow my seed even there and, and even there. And so what happens is this, this seed represents the message of the kingdom or the word of God. And, and remember all the way back to Genesis chapter one, in Genesis chapter one, we learned that the word of God does a lot. The word of God creates just by God speaking, a whole world comes into being. So, so you got to imagine this, like the voice of God produces life, okay? So this is the metaphor, and it's no different here. Uh, his word is like a seed. Now, what's a seed? What exactly is a seed? A seed is a piece of matter that has all the potential of a million forests in it should it be placed in the right soil conditions. 
in a tiny little seed, it has the potential of an entire forest and all of the seeds that the forest will eventually represent all within this tiny little piece of matter should it be placed in the right soil conditions. Verse 8 says this, still some seed fell on soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. There's a lot of potential in a seed. So what is being said is that should someone hear the word of God or the word of the kingdom and they receive it, they have good soil, they, it finds a hospitable place in their life, it will produce a hundredfold of the kingdom in their lives. That's what seeds do. But if the seed isn't received, if the word doesn't find place in someone's heart or in their, metaphorically, in their soil, it's just a fleck of potential that's been unrealized. It's just matter. Now, I want to focus in, there's a lot of different inhospitable, in fact, there's more inhospitable soil than there is good soil in this parable. Did you notice that? Um, But I want to focus in on one inhospitable condition for a moment. Skip down to verse 22. Now Jesus is explaining this parable. And he says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. The question of this parable is, will you receive his word? Will you get life? Will you get purpose? Will you get meaning? Will you get weight from his words? Or will they get choked out? And here Jesus says there are people who have his, his words choked out by two specific things, riches and cares. Riches and cares. I remember when I really first saw this, I'd read this, you know, many, many times, but I remember I I really first saw this and I thought, well, those are the two reasons why people live thin lives in the United States. Riches and cares. The first way is through the deceitfulness of wealth. Notice what he says. The deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word, making it unfruitful. It's not the danger of wealth. It's not the power of wealth. It's the deceit. Of wealth. Now, what's interesting is that the word for deceit in Greek here is apatao. It's kind of fun to say if you want to say it. Apatao, which means delusion. So here's the point. <laughs> it's so brilliant. If you are under the delusion that wealth will solve the problems of mortality and pain, you will live a thin, eternally insignificant life running after wealth and safety. That's what it is. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. The second way that we live thin lives is that we get too caught up in the cares of this world. What does he say? Look back down your Bibles, verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life choke it out, making it unfruitful. Now, the the word for worries here or for cares here in Greek means division. So, So here's the point. If your mind and heart are constantly distracted by the goings-on of this life, if you are constantly purposing in your mind and heart to do significant things with your life, but then you get distracted and divided with other pursuits, then you will live a thin and weightless life. Now, Jesus says these two things work together. The cares of this world, the worries of this life, and the deceitfulness of wealth 
to choke the plant of the kingdom, to choke the forest of eternal significance in one's life by hearing God's voice. Now, because, like, why is that? Well, both of these things, think about it. The deceitfulness of wealth, the, the cares of this life, they place too great a focus on the preservation and quality of this life. That's the problem. See, I, I didn't really understand the process of, like, how exactly does a weed choke another plant? Does it, like, wrap around the plant really tight and choke it? Well, here's how it works. What weeds do, weeds starve plants because they absorb most of the nutrients in the ground around that plant, and it overwhelms the plant, causing them to wither away and die. Because the weeds are personally taking in what was feeding the plant. So what is he saying? Like, you got to get into the parables sometimes and pull them apart. What is he saying? He's saying putting your hope and wealth and worrying too much about this life and not looking to eternity will drain you of energy, it will drain you of wisdom, it will drain you of love and the surplus the word of God was meant to give you. So here's like a little teaching, like practically what does this mean? Here's a teaching moment from Jesus. When I find in myself sweatiness, when I find in myself lack or striving, when I'm constantly either disappointed or relieved, when I'm not really free, I have reason to question if there's a weed of deceit in my life or a care that I shouldn't have in my life. Do I care about this and I shouldn't? Have I been deceived in my pursuit of wealth? I have, I've totally been there. If either of these things are the case, you will live an incredibly thin, meaningless life. So the real question is, well then how do we live lives worth passing down? How do we do it? If an entire forest of eternal weight comes from his voice, then we need his voice. So I, I have four thoughts for you note takers tonight about how we make our lives hospitable for the seed, the word of God in our lives, that we might live lives of weight. And the first is this. The first way that we do this is through obedience. It's a word that we don't talk that much about anymore, but through obedience. The scriptures tell us that obedience increases God's voice in your life. I don't know how it works, but here's what Jesus says if you don't believe me. John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. <laughs> it's a different kind of friendship. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. So you gotta understand this. There's something about obedience, following his commands, that sets us up for a hearing relationship. It's obey. That's what this is saying. Very simply, it's obey God, become his friend, and you will hear everything. That's what he says. Everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Why? You're my friend. You're my friend. But I think that there's this cultural wave hitting the church which directly works against obedience. And we've sanctified it in the church. And it's like, here. And I call it Project Self. Project Self. It is tempting 
with all of the TED Talks that we have in our culture, with all of the self-help out there to turn church into the same thing. If it's, the church is always copying culture and we're not supposed to. We're supposed to create culture. It's like, oh, if a TED Talk's working, we should do that in here. No, this is a totally different thing. This is transformational. That's conformity. So, so here's what happens is that the church then turns into Christian self-help. Or, or, or we begin to think in the church that the discovery of self will eventually lead to Christ-likeness. As one of my favorite pastors, uh, one of, you know, mentor from afar says, there is no verse in the Bible that commands me to know thyself. But what happens is that there's this temptation in our culture to think of all the good things that you can add to your project in order to live a good life. And so, you know, they're not bad things. It's like, you know what? I'm going to try that diet out because I could lose a few LBs. It's, you know what? I actually need to change up my wardrobe and I have the cash and I'm going to go do it. It's, it's, oh man, did you see what it was like in those photos when our friends went to Italy? I need to go to Italy. I have to go to Italy. Um, it's, 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 did you hear about that book? Oh, you haven't read that book? And you're like, I need to read that book. Everybody's reading the book. I got to read the book. It's the, it's the workout plan. It's like, oh, if I just like organize and, and, or we even spiritualize it, it's like the spiritual gifts assessment. It's like, have you not done your spiritual gifts assessment? Because if you did, you would know your gifts. Um, or here we go. It's the Enneagram. <laughs> I like this church. This is a good church. Okay. Um, now, here's the thing, here's the thing. Some of you are like new, you're like, but I like that thing. Um, it's okay, well, everything I just mentioned are good things. And, and, you, and maybe you should do them. Um, but out of the context of relationship, they're cares of this world. See, we're not life designers. I'm so tempted to be a life designer. Because we have like the resources to design our lives. <laughs> We're not project builders. We're sons and daughters. And some of us, we have incredible levels of insecurity. We have incredible levels of anxiety just ricocheting through our inner being. And we're like, I just don't know why. It's like you've turned your life into a project when you were meant to be a son or a daughter. I just heard... um, I, I, I love to play tennis, and I love to watch tennis, and I uh, just watched, I've been watching the U.S. Open, and Naomi Osaka, she's one of the um, great female tennis players these days, and um, she was like, everybody's, you know, she's the defending champion of the U.S. Open, she's going to totally win, and she lost, she lost to somebody who's not even, like, ranked within the tournament, just like a total Cinderella story, and she's in her press conference, and she's, they're asking her, like, you know, how, how are you doing? And she's pretty tearful the whole time. Like, if you've ever lost at tennis, it's like the worst thing ever. <laughs> it's, hor- it's horrible. It feels so bad. <laughs> Anyways, so, um, yeah, I'm just, like, feeling for her. I'm like, ugh, ouch. And she's, like, talking, and she says, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not sure that I'm going to play tennis for a long time. And she says this. She says, when I uh, lose, I'm crushed and I'm so sad. And when I win, I'm relieved, not happy. 
And I was like, whoa. Oh, it's project self. Because you're getting your identity from your performance. You're relieved that you just continue to maintain the identity that you've worked to build. It's not the way that we were designed to live. I, I remember I was 25 years old when I, when I first started to understand just how important um, th- this, this is. Like, I had at that, to that point in my life for the past couple of years, from like 21 to 25, I basically had come up with in my mind what a good life would be, and it was awesome. I was, I was gonna get married, and I was gonna be a father, and I was gonna be a pastor, and I was gonna plant a church, and I, I'd thought of all these things that I really wanted. They were all good things, but what I had done is I had brought them to God, and I had said, here's the life that I want. Can you bless it? Can you make this happen? And I remember him saying, oh, it just doesn't work that way. You don't come up with a project and ask me to bless it. You give yourself to me and it unfolds through a relational process of you saying yes to me. And it's like, oh, I promise you, you will live a thin life if you come up with your life and ask him to bless it rather than find out what he has in mind. In one of those lifestyles, you will be divided and you will be deceived. In the other, you will hear and the kingdom will be produced in your life a hundredfold beyond what you ever thought possible. So obedience. How do we live lives of weight? We, we get obedient, we hear his voice, and we keep saying yes, hand in hand. Okay, yes, yes. Even saying no to good things. Okay, I, I know this is a good thing. I could even do it. And, and I might even have permission, but I think there's something better. I'll stay close to you and I'll make this decision over here. Even if I know all of my other friends would make the other choice. And it could be good for them. But for me, there's like, we're in a relationship. And he, he, it's like Aslan says, I only tell you your story. It's like, he's not writing somebody else's story and showing it to you. He's writing your story. So we stay close through obedience. The, the second thing is really closely related to this. It's attention. We give God attention. The problem with the cares of this world is division. It isn't that you're like the cares of this world where there are some things to care about in the world, are there not? There are some things that we are to actually care about. It's just that, this is like a Saints Hill message, it's just that the best way that you can care for the world is by being a disciple who's single-minded. Like part of the deception that has kind of crept into the church is that with the rising complexity of our modern age, the increase of information, it requires the church to have an incredible diversity of answers for every variable out there. And the answer is no. That's a divided mind. The answer is this. We talked about this last week. There's one solution. There's one thing that we keep, we keep the cross and resurrection in focus We keep Jesus himself in focus and you will have an answer for all the myriad of issues that pop up in your life. I find that distraction, just distraction is the number one tool of the enemy in the information age. If he can get your attention, he will become your influence. I've been there. I have totally been there where the algorithm has taken me to a place where I'm just constantly swiping my wife just calls it scrolling. I'm just like constantly scrolling. She's like, you're scrolling again. And like, I'm just like, and it's not even like necessarily bad, but the, the, the content or whatever, but it's just, I am more, I'm distracted. I'm more interested in the enemy 
and what he's doing than I, than I am listening to what God may be doing in the moment. And so it's like, I, I heard Tim Mackey say this one time. He said, uh, focus is worship. Focus is worship. Like what you focus on, you will worship. And, and one of the most common refrains throughout the whole Bible is that you become like what you worship. Here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 115. But their idols, speaking of people who make idols, their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. It's like, what are you focusing on? You are gonna become like whatever you worship. And in the information age, if focus is worship, we need to think about what we're focusing on because it will divide us. It's gonna, it's, you, you focus on the wrong thing and next thing you know, you have a million cares of this world that are so deep in your heart, you think it's righteous. But it's not. There's, a, there's actually one voice that you're to be listening to and you're like getting your prophetic insight into the culture from the newspaper. And it's like, no, it's like, I was designed to hear one voice. There's one voice of life, one voice that brings that seed that produces kingdom in my life. And that voice has to be more important and more tuned into than any other voice. Thirdly, thirdly and lastly, uh, thankfulness. How do we live lives of weight? We get thankful. Uh, gratitude, I, I've thought about doing an entire sermon just on thankfulness because it's, it's just so unbelievably powerful. Gratitude is like a secret weapon. Uh, it, it is the thing that we can use to take what the enemy meant to destroy and to, to turn those things around and use them for good. Uh, here's, here's what Paul says to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, for everything God created is good. Some of us need to hear that. Everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected. So pause for just a second, because I do want to clarify. I'm not saying that there, like, this is not about there being wealth that's, that's bad or there's material that's bad. God made material. It was his idea, okay? And he's like, humans, I want you to have stewardship over material. The problem is that when we take material to be our whole lives, that's where we get deceived. So, so he's like, everything God made is good and nothing is to be rejected. Now here's what sanctifies it. If it is received with thanksgiving. Amen. It's like, you might be rich, you might have a lot, but just are you thankful for it? That's the real question. Because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Here's the deal. Gratitude has the power of consecration. What does that mean? Gratitude has the power to take something material or normal or earthly and set it apart for a special use and dedicate it to that use. That's how powerful thankfulness is. That's how powerful gratitude is. And, and so, so how does that exactly happen? How, just getting thankful for what I have or what I've been given in this life or, or for my income or for my house or my car or my family? Like, how does it actually work? Because, because of this. In being thankful, you're recognizing two things. When you're thankful, you're recognizing two things. One, this blessing that I have, this thing in my life, has a source, and it is not the point. The source is the point. 
So it's like Chesterton said, like, how horrible is it for the atheist who has all this beauty and goodness in life with no one to thank for it? It's like, no, we actually have a source. We have someone to thank, okay? Um, and, and so that's the first thing you recognize in thankfulness. The second thing that you recognize in thankfulness is I am under that source. I'm the receiver. I'm not God. So get this. Whether it's, it's the, the physical item, whether it's the person, whether it's the school, what, whatever it is, what could have waged war for your affections, for your idolatry, the cares of this world, the wealth or riches of this life, or even the blessing of God, what could have divided your mind and heart, causing you to pursue a delusion, is now placed into correct position with God, the creator of all good things. Through gratitude, through thankfulness. No, 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 this is from you. And so I don't have the right to, I can't worship this thing because I have to at any moment be willing to give it back to you for your use because it's yours. That is the relationship where things in your life get weight. Where you go from living a very thin existence to an eternally significant existence. In gratitude, we free up our wealth and blessing to then be used for something even more weighty, dedicated to, consecrated through thankfulness. So here's what I'm saying tonight. It's very simple. Here's what I'm saying. You have one life. That's all that you have. You have this one life. What will you hand down? What will you leverage for eternal significance? Here's a photo um, of Paul's journeys once he encountered Jesus. And um, you can see these are all his journeys through the Mediterranean. Honestly, not a bad first missionary location. It's like, Paul, I want you to go to the Mediterranean. He's like, there could be worse places. I'll go to the Mediterranean. I, Lord, I will go to the Mediterranean for you. Oh my gosh, I've been trying to get there this whole summer. It's not working. Um, okay, so, so Paul goes through, you know, th- this is just a map of all the places he traveled and it's much more difficult to travel then than it is now. If you know the story of Paul, there were shipwrecks, there were snake bites, there were all kinds of stuff that happened to him, uh, imprisonment. And, but what this struck, I was looking at this the other day and I just thought, oh, what is that? It's a map, it's a visual picture of legacy. It's a visual picture of legacy. The historian Rodney Stark said in 200 AD, 1% of the Greco-Roman world were Christians. That's actually a lot of people, you know, if you think about it, from, you know, Paul in, I don't know, 60 to 80 AD to 200 AD, uh, 1% of this area uh, becomes Christian. In 300 AD, so 100 years later, 17% of this area are Christian. In 400 AD, it's nearing 100% are Christian. Constantine had something to do with that, but um, I also believe the Holy Spirit too. Anyways, the, (laughs) the message of Jesus changed the entire world. We're still talking about him in Newburgh, Oregon. You know, Newburgh is not on this map. I'm just saying that, okay? It's a long ways away from just one guy getting his imagination engaged for what would happen if the gospel reached the most influential cities in the world. I got one life, what could I do for you? From one guy, Paul, who wouldn't allow wealth or the things of this world, uh, the cares of this world to thin his significance. So what about your life? Does anybody here know who George Mueller is? (laughs) You guys know who George Mueller is? I've talked about him before, but he's just a hero of mine. Here's George Mueller. 
He's a very nice looking guy. He makes me wanna, I'm like, there's some discipleship issues I need to work through just by looking at this guy. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I need to get right with the Lord. Um, he was a righteous guy. Uh, he was this incredible man. He lived in the 1800s in Bristol, England, during a time in England when most orphans uh, lived in miserable workhouses or they lived on the streets. Uh, there wasn't a lot of orphan care going on. There was no DHS. And so Mueller took them in. He fed them. He clothed them. He educated them. Over his lifetime, he did this for over 10,000 orphans. I think we have a photo of uh, one of the buildings of his orphanage and some of the kids out there. Um, Beautiful building, great architecture. Uh, now, here's what's crazy. Uh, he never asked for money from anyone to build all this. He simply, I read his, uh, his biography, he simply resolved to open his mouth that God would fill it. And so over his life, he received over half a billion dollars in today's dollars to care for these orphans. Mueller had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayers in his journals. 30,000 of them, which he said, were answered the same day or the same hour that he prayed them. On, he would, in his journals, he'd have on one side the prayer request, and then he'd leave the other page blank because he knew God would answer it, and he wanted to be able to record the answer. When he died, the income for his orphanages uh, was $29,000 a year. The year later, it was $43,000 a year. In the 12 years after Mr. Mueller's death, over $360,000 came in for the orphanage. I mean, it was almost as if this spiritual deposit that he planted in the ground continued to produce fruit long after he left. That's legacy. That's legacy. You have one life. What are you depositing here? Some of you are going to live the rest of your lives here. Some of you are going to be here for a semester. Some of you are going to be here for a few years. What will those who come after you receive because of your faith? Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.